traveled over the holidays, and when Southwest melted down, it affected the other budget airlines, too, and stranded myself and my family for two extra days on the other side of the country. We were fortunate that our trip was to New Orleans from St. Louis, so we were able to cancel before our flight was canceled and just make the drive instead. After we watched the employees just be left for break, that ended up costing us somewhere in the neighborhood of about a thousand extra dollars. It added a lot of exhaustion and time to the beginning and end of our trip. And it left me ultimately stranded with my child with special needs. When one airline it has a meltdown, it actually affects all of the other domestic airlines as well. Flying has almost always been a hassle, but during the past month, it's been particularly challenging. Millions of passengers experienced cancellations and delays triggered by severe winter weather between Christmas and New Year's. Southwest customers were the most impacted, with more than 16,000 flights canceled. Last week, the Federal Aviation Administration grounded planes for the first time since 9-11 after finding a technical glitch in their system. And with a pilot shortage in the thousands, the men and women flying our planes demand better working conditions. I'm Celeste Headley, in for Jen White, and you're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. After the break, we look at the airline industry, what is working, what is not, and what these meltdowns reveal about the future of flying. This message comes from NPR sponsor Smartwool. From hiking summits to running errands, backcountry skiing to couch surfing, Smartwool base layers are everything you need to go anywhere. They make versatile merino wool base layers that offer all-day comfort for all your adventures. They're the first layer you'll want to put on and the last layer you'll want to take off. Enjoy 15% off your first order and find the right base layer for you at smartwool.com. Let's get right into it with our guests. Here with us is Captain Casey Murray. He's president of the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association. Casey, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Miles O'Brien. He's the science and aviation correspondent for the PBS NewsHour and CNN, also a licensed pilot. Good to have you, Miles. Hi, Celeste. And Robert W. Mann is an airline industry consultant and former airline industry executive. Bob, thanks for being with us as well. Thanks, Celeste. Nice to join you. We want to note that we did invite a Southwest representative onto the program. They declined that request. We also invited Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to join the program, but he was not available. Um, So, Casey, you have been outspoken about the need for Southwest Airlines to update its technology in service of both employees and customers. Are the problems worse at Southwest, or, or, or what we're seeing are issues that are are really a a problem for all of the airlines? No, they're 100% worse at Southwest. Um, We have been sounding alarm bells for um, seven years now when we've started to see sort of inefficiencies in connecting pilots to airplanes um, start to show up. And and we've seen these meltdowns become more frequent and more severe. And, And it's really... It's, it's process issues, it's IT issues, it's infrastructure issues, and it's people issues. And, and Southwest has to take a holistic look at exactly how they're going to approach this. And, and there needs to be some accountability. There needs to be a plan put out there, and, and there has to be deadlines. And, and we have to, to see what they're doing to make sure this never happens again. This was devastating to our customers. I mean, it, it's, it, we've all heard the money numbers 
on, on what this is going to cost and what this costs individuals is is huge. Um, and you know, lost memories over Christmas, over New Year's. Um, so it, it's truly devastating and cannot happen again. Now, the company CEO, Bob Jordan, spoke with The New York Times last week and said, quote, we messed up and caused problems and we need to fix our problems. But it did start with this historic storm that coupled with super cold temperatures caused things we just never see. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, it, there was a there was a storm and, and it was significant. Um, but ultimately, we have seen triggering events prior to each of these meltdowns. And our meltdowns last a lot longer than just storm-related delays and cancellations that we see at other airlines. So, um, you know, I would argue that, that, that there was lack of preparation for the storm, but also, again, th- there, there are four main issues, um, you know, scheduling inefficiencies, um, IT infrastructure and people, and and those have to change. And yeah. and this isn't this wasn't a surprise. Yeah. So Miles, how much of this are issues that individual in- airlines are having, or maybe the FAA is having, and how much of this is is just an air travel problem? Well, we have a system, Celeste, that is bursting at the seams, and it's uh, screaming at us. And every time. A few snowflakes fall, it all kind of the house of cards crumbles. Why is this? Well, you you really have to go back to the deregulation of the airlines in 1978. Uh, At that time, airlines uh, were finally able to choose their own routes and set their own fares. And incidentally, it was Southwest that kind of pushed us into this era. Uh, We have made a trade-off collectively ever since. We want that cheap flight to Cleveland. Uh, And in exchange, we are putting up with collectively passengers with service which has steadily declined over the years. The seats are less comfortable. you got to pay for your bags. Uh, Some airlines, you can't even call and talk to a person anymore. So we get what we pay for here. And this is an, an industry that was deregulated. That was historic. And yet it is a highly regulated industry in many other respects. So I think we have to take a big holistic look at uh, regulating the industry in a new way to prevent this kind of thing. So if it's been going bad since 1978, it means it's been deteriorating for almost as long as I've been alive, which explains a lot about my feelings towards air travel. Uh, Bill tweets us this, back in November, my parents and I went to Boston, but my mom couldn't find our boarding passes online. She called Expedia. She discovered that our ticket numbers had changed. Then she found our boarding passes. It really should not have been that complicated. Uh, I wonder, Bob, is the situation that we're in exceptional? I mean, quite frankly, it, it feels like we keep returning to this issue of of problems in the airline industry, whether it be caused by, say, 9-11 or, or other um, big events. So are we in a, a kind of unique era? Well, I, I think it's a perpetual issue. Uh, you know, the, the noise level is pretty high, and occasionally you see extraordinary events. I mean, we have weather every day. We have seasonal weather seasonally. We have extraordinary weather every once in a while. That's really not what causes the problem. It's, it's the industry's lack of resilience and ability to tolerate this. Yeah. I mean, we, we occasionally joke that it, it's a great you know, day visual flight rules business, but you know, at, at nighttime weather or the need to rely on instruments and it, uh, it gets tough. Uh, when, when, you, when you talk, uh, this ultimately comes down to you know, a money issue. It's an FAA money issue, it's an airline money issue. Uh, and 
the, the unfortunate part is you have kind of two separate problems which appear the same. Uh, you can fix airlines. Airlines can fix airlines. ATC can fix ATC. Uh, but one really can't fix the other. And, and so, you know, the finger pointing doesn't, frankly, do much good. ATC is air traffic control, by the way. But last week, Miles, we had that outage. The Federal Aviation Administration had a technical failure with its NOTAM. That's Notice to Air Missions System. It caused all flights to be canceled or delayed. So can you explain how NOTAM works and why it can cause this kind of disruption? So NOTAMs are sort of late changes to the published game. Um, When you're planning a flight, you need to know about closed airspace, closed runways, inoperative navigational aids. All of that is encompassed in this NOTAM system. And you know, a long time ago, it was sent out by teletype and people on the phone would read you those NOTAMs. And a lot of it is kind of trivial stuff. There's a landing light out at an airport you're going to fly over in the middle of the night. You don't really care that much about it. But some of it is very crucial. And most importantly, if you don't have the NOTAMs, an airliner cannot be dispatched. And so this system of NOTAMs, which is built on a 1990s era computer system, and the FAA is trying to lurch forward into the 21st century, uh, this system um, uh, has uh, some corrupt data uh, they did what we all do. They turned it on and turned it off, right? And uh, but it didn't. It didn't reboot very well. And uh, so we had a ninety-minute no NOTAM situation, and that was a, a, a well. The, actually, the NOTAMs were not available for longer. But the ground hold lasted for ninety minutes. And in in the morning, uh, fortunately, it was a Wednesday, which is a lighter traffic day. But that just has the dominoes start falling, and we had that that mayhem. But it it really was an inexcusable uh, failure. So, Casey, Southwest barely eked out American Airlines with the most disruptions during uh, that technical glitch. Nearly 50 percent of Southwest flights were delayed in the morning hours. Um, Why do you think Southwest was vulnerable when a a glitch like this occurs? Well, it it really goes back to, you know, to what I was saying on kind of the lead in. Um, Southwest is 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 it a technological disadvantage? Um, we do have a complex network and, and it's a point to point network, whereas our peers and, and pretty much every other airline has kind of a hub and spoke system and, and Southwest being the largest domestic carrier, it, it, it provides a, a level of complexity that has to be addressed and has to be supported. So anytime that we see one of these, um, events, whether it's ATC, whether it's a SpaceX launch, whether it's, um, you know, a, a polar vortex. Um, Southwest just has shown an inability to, to, number one, manage it, but number two, recover from it. Mm. Well, some of our listeners have chimed in. Here's Denise in Atlanta. I was flying out of New York on Wednesday and realized the um, debacle that was going on, so I thought I'll be proactive here. I saw that the two flights prior to mine were being delayed, assuming mine was next. I thought I would just call and see if I could just go ahead and reschedule for a much later flight in the afternoon. I was told no, um, that if I wanted to do that, I had to pay a fee because I was voluntarily doing this. Okay, so I hop in my Uber and no longer have the door even closed. And what am I told? 
my flight has been delayed, I can go ahead and reschedule at no fee. So, Bob, um, as Miles mentioned, the FAA has been trying to upgrade its NOTAM system. Um, they're expecting a multi-billion dollar infrastructure program to help that. That program is known as the Next Gen or Next Generation Air Transport System. Why has it taken so long? Well, I, I mean, the number one issue is these are highly complex systems, and of course they have to be interoperable with other highly complex systems operated by, uh, by other air traffic management agencies. And of course, they have to be understood uh, and operate with every potential user, whether it be you know, the guy putting around in his, in his Cessna 150 or uh, a $100 million airliner. Uh, the real issue, I think, is, again, it's, it's, it's partially a money issue, but mostly it's a how the money is used issue. It's a vision issue. It's a priorities issue. Uh, you know, NOTAM system failure is, you know, kind of the tip of the iceberg, but that iceberg is uh, it's just monstrous in size and in uh, complexity. So I think we really have to go back. If you go back 40 years, you'll find, you know, the, the, the FAA has funded uh, billions of dollars worth of programs that we have never even seen uh, and billions of dollars worth of programs that we see but frankly don't perform as intended. And the General Accounting Office, the FAA's own Inspector General, and pretty much anybody that uses the systems would, would agree with that. So what we're going to end up talking about FAA reauthorization, but what we really need to be talking about is the vision uh, to, uh, to spend whatever funding it has wisely. And, yeah. and the same goes for airlines. So, Miles, since we're talking about things that need to happen in Washington, there, the FAA still doesn't have a, a permanent leader. Um, Sunday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced he will push to confirm President Biden's current nomination for the post. That's Phil Washington. Can you tell us a little bit about um, Phil Washington and and why this has been delayed? Well, uh, Phil Washington is not an airline person. He comes out of Colorado and he has been uh, blocked because of some linkage to some sort of scandal out there that I'm not actually that familiar with. But the point is, um, bringing in somebody who's outside of the industry is somewhat controversial. I think it's probably a good idea to have somebody who's got a little more of a passenger view of things, potentially. Uh, one of the problems with the FAA is um, it's very cozy with the industry itself. And we mm. saw the consequences of this with the 737 MAX debacle. Some of that was uh, a lack of funding. The FAA doesn't have enough money to put inspectors on the factory floor as they're building those aircraft. And so they designate representatives of the company to be the inspector. Well, you can see there's an inherent conflict of interest uh, in there. Uh, but on top of that, there is a very close relationship between the regulators and the, regu the, the industry that is regulated. And so having outsiders in to look at this maybe is not a bad idea. And the 737 MAX, of course, was an airline that was the fourth generation of the 737. It had uh, massive failures um, and caused two fatal crashes. It was grounded worldwide uh, between 2019 and 2020. Um, we have about a minute here. And, and Casey, I wanted to put to you a comment from one of our listeners um, Gary tweets us, the Southwest CEO is wrong. The fish rots from the head. It wasn't just the storms at fault. Why has Southwest granted its executives millions of dollars in bonuses when they're not investing to upgrade their systems? Uh, briefly, do you feel there's a problem with priorities in terms of spending? 
Oh, 100%. We've seen it for over a decade. And, um, you know, uh, $16 billion in, in stock buybacks, um, just announcing dividends uh, while we were picketing right outside the New York Stock Exchange, uh, we just think is a, is a misappropriation of, of, of funds for, for the infrastructure that is failing um, at Southwest. And um, I liked what, what uh, Bob just said, which was, you know, it's a money, vision, and priority thing. It's the same thing at Southwest. That's, they've lost their vision. We're talking about the struggles facing the airline industry and the passengers and what could happen next. Edward tweeted us, The plethora of third-party companies taking reservations seems to have added complexity to the entire experience. I'm Celeste Headley, and we'll hear more from you and our guests in just a moment. Now let's get back to our conversation about what's wrong with how we fly. We're hearing a lot from you. Hi, my name is Beth. I live in Indiana. I traveled over the holidays. My daughter traveled. I just traveled yesterday. You know, to me, the difference in a great travel experience is attitude and also preparation. I watched the storm blow in over the Denver airport 24 hours before Southwest meltdown, and I knew I needed a plan B. And Miles, we have a question from Margaret. Margaret says, can someone please comment on the near disaster at JFK last week? Uh, Sunday, there was a near collision between Delta and American Airlines at JFK on the runway. Can you explain how often close calls like this happen? And and does the, the NOTAM system usually prevent that? Well, no TAMs would certainly tell you <clears throat> if uh, a runway that you were nearby was closed, but uh, this is more of a real-time situation that we're talking about. Runway incursions, as the FAA calls them, are a persistent and um, uh, difficult problem to get a hold of. And uh, there have been a lot of efforts in this regard trying to uh, make the system safer, um, including things like putting blinking red lights on taxiways which abut active runways. Uh, what it appears happened in this case is um, one of the airliners uh, made a wrong turn and thought it had a clearance to cross a, ru- cross a runway that was not in use, which was in fact in use. Now, uh, mistakes happen, uh, but there is a lot of technology and there is a lot of um, ways that they are, uh, there's a lot of things designed in the system to try to stop that. And what you realize in aviation and what happened here is that there are layers of redundancy and resilience. And in this case, uh, an air traffic controller saved the day almost miraculously. And it brings Mm -hmm. up an important point. They're the men and women who make this system work, which remains uh, so safe do so um, in spite of technological hurdles, which make it very difficult for them to do their job. So my hat's off to uh, the air traffic control um, regime. These these people do great work, including that individual who saved us from what would have been a horrible catastrophe. Uh, let's talk about the, the, the people who run the airlines. Um, but first, I misspoke a moment ago. I said that near collision happened Sunday. That's when we heard about it. It actually happened on Friday. But Casey, let's talk about people, <laughs> staffs. The consulting firm Oliver Wyman estimates there's a deficit of roughly 8,000 pilots. And Shockingly, that number could grow to 30,000 by 2032. When it, ta- when it comes to pilots in particular, why are we have struggling to recruit more of them? 
Well, I believe over the last, you know, couple decades, we've seen, um, um, you know, challenges with in the economies and, and whether we're talking 9-11, uh, whether the Great Recession, um, that has caused issues, um, you know, with, with the career. Um, we've seen furloughs, uh, we've seen bankruptcies um, at different airlines, and so it, it hasn't been attractive. And as we've approached this shortage, um, we've seen extraordinary measures being taken uh, across the industry to kind of start, um, you know, at a grassroots level and really at the middle school and high school level to, to draw in more, uh, you know, more pilots, um, start them younger. And, but we are facing a, a critical dilemma. We've seen the regionals, which are a stepping stone to the major airlines, um, you know, Southwest, Delta, American, United. Uh, we've seen them, you know, up and continually up their compensation yeah. uh, to address. And, and the, the majors are, are currently in, you know, the process of doing the same thing. We have to make it attractive for everyone. So, Bob, this issue, especially when it comes to some of the striking workers recently in the airline industries, talking about being um, working long hours, not getting enough sleep, being overwhelmed. It reminds me of the discussion we had over railroad workers, right? There seem to be a number of industries, especially transportation industries, where they're working a lot of hours. Why? Why are we are, are so many in the transportation industries overworked? Well, it, it's a critical industry, uh, if not, not just from a logistics standpoint, from, from an economic growth perspective. It drives economic growth. Uh, so therefore, it's, it's growing rapidly. And in fact, during the pandemic, the, the growth in demand was far in excess of what anyone would have expected. That, of course, created a an effective shortage of personnel to actually run these operations, whether it be, you know, trucking or rails or, or air, airlines. And uh, that, from a management perspective, drives uh, the need to uh, try to find either volunteers or absent volunteers, uh, mandate volunteerism, in effect, you know, create uh, your demand overtime. And perpetual overtime really just it just wears people out. I mean, quite honestly, uh, it's 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 unsafe at, at the max. Uh, it's just it's just wearing uh, on a constant basis, and it occasionally drives people to errors. And that's that's of course ultimately a safety issue. But it's but it's a cultural issue as well. And and this uh, this I think is what we're coming up against across all these transportation industries is we just don't have the people, uh, e- either due to for pay purposes or or for working conditions purposes. Uh, to uh, to satisfy the demand for transportation services. Um, let's get to some of the messages we've gotten from our listeners. Preston emails, I recently flew on Air Canada and spent approximately $400 more for a flight that was supposed to deliver me to my destination within a certain time frame. The airline failed in that regard. I ended up arriving 14 hours later than the advertised time frame of the flight I purchased. What other industry can charge for what they don't deliver? And Mark emails us, I was a pilot for United Express. United closed our doors as well as two other airlines as soon as they were able to after taking the pandemic bailout money and furloughed 2,500 pilots. I decided in my mid-50s to retire early instead of going to the bottom of a list elsewhere. Miles, can, can you explain this relationship between airline compensation for executives, for example, Four U.S. airline CEOs took home five more than five million dollars in 2021 for 
Delta CEO had a pay packet of over 12 million while the airline lost 3.4 billion. So can you explain this relationship between executive pay, uh, the pay of their average team worker, and also the money they sometimes get from the federal government? Well, how many times have we witnessed an airline bankruptcy? Every time that happens, the taxpayers are are bailing out the airlines. The airlines had some, you know, very good years and and, uh, have had some historically um, long stretches of non-profitability. And one way or another, we're paying for that. There's no question about it. Now, the whole issue of executive compensation relative to the regular worker, that's that's a much bigger issue, a nationwide issue, which we could do a whole other segment on. Yeah. Uh, but it is, you know, the industry was bailed out in the middle of the pandemic, as we well know, I think $54 billion. And, um, you know, it, as passengers, it, you often get the sense that we're not getting much uh, gratitude for um, what we've done collectively as taxpayers for the industry. So, Casey, pilots are required to retire at age 65 when they're flying with a co-pilot here. Do you think Pilots, U.S. pilots, should be allowed to work longer than currently mandated under law. Well, there's 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 talk of legislation. We saw in 2009 um, a, a move from age 60 to age 65. Um, you know, and, and we have to maintain medicals. And and at the end of the day, it's it's really about the medicals. And and if you can maintain a medical, um, then um, you know it, it you should be able to fly. So um, that that's an issue um, that we've heard talk of of trying to address that for the shortage when when really what has to be done is is addressing the working conditions and, and compensation. So Sefer, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, emailed us. Why isn't there a central system where traditionally competitive airlines can work together to rebook their passengers on another airline? Could this be a solution when there are weather issues or crew shortages shortages like we have seen many times. Bob, can you answer that question? Well, it's, it's kind of an ironic answer, but uh, you know, b- back in the bad old days, or good old days, some might, might say it, we had, we had something called a Rule 240, uh, and internationally a flight interruption manifest, or FIM. And what that permitted the carrier to do was to, in effect, send a passenger over to another airline to, to satisfy their, their, uh, their, their journey needs uh, if the airline couldn't carry the passenger themselves. Uh, we haven't had that really since uh, since the industry went uh, internal, uh, more or less eliminated the interline system uh, generally, and focused on code sharing and global alliances internationally. So the the motivation to, uh, to in effect uh, self help by a collective uh, use of, of of existing space uh, really hasn't been a, a factor for probably twenty years. We got an email from Lisa. She says, my 12-year-old flew for the first time just after Christmas. He commented that he'd heard flying was a bit like a roller coaster, but people in line for a roller coaster look excited. No one here even looks happy. So let's focus our, our, the, our, the end of our conversation on solutions. Miles, let me go to you first. If you were to prioritize possible solutions here uh, based on how quickly and effectively we could carry them out versus the impact they might have, what would you do first? 
Well, I think it's a good idea to let uh, pilots fly a little bit older. They get uh, checked out twice a year, and uh, if they, they don't pass their physical, um, they, should, they should retire. But otherwise, that would help on the pilot shortage front. As far as the infrastructure issue, the FAA has been chronically underfunded, not just for years, for decades. And it's time that we uh, value that as a critical piece of our nation's infrastructure. The U.S. is not very good at maintaining its infrastructure. We see that with crumbling bridges and potholes and you name it. But this is an essential piece of infrastructure. And of course, uh, there's an in intrinsic safety component to it. So more, more money for the FAA, more and oversight to make sure they spend it properly. You know, this next gen system, we've been talking about it for 25 years. Yeah. That's a generation. We've spent a generation talking about next gen. And, and there have been cases where the FAA has brought out technology um, I'm thinking of something called the microwave landing system way back in the 70s. Uh, but by the time the, the technology was anywhere close to being deployed, it had been overtaken by something else. So you got to move a little faster. Yeah. Uh, moving the system to a satellite-based system, not relying on this 1950s architecture of spinning radars and people on VHF radios talking to each other, that has to happen. Th yeah. th those would be my big... And you know what? Let's One more thing. Let's ask people <laughs> when they're booking their flight, to think about something else besides cost. I mean, if it's if it's purely about the price of a ticket, you get what you pay for. Yeah. So, uh, Casey, what would be the one thing you would change right away? Well, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, the infrastructure of, of the safest aviation system in the world um, does have to be addressed. Um, as as Miles said, we are, we are, we've spent a generation talking about the next generation and, and now we're in <laughs> the following generation. And so ha something has to be done quicker. At Southwest Airlines, it, it's the same thing. Th there have to be some changes. The customer experience is really what's most important. And the Southwest frontline employees do a very good job of that, but we're not being supported from the top. Okay, Bob, let me end with you here. And we have about a minute for this. What would be your priority? What would you change first? I have a slightly different view on this. It is a priorities issue, but it's an airline priorities issue. Since they actually generate the uh, the day-of-flight flow of aircraft that's today completely unmanaged. Uh, only they know the objectives of those, uh, of those aircraft and their sequencing uh, and their timing. And particularly when they operate at a hub, uh, it's really their problem to solve. So it's self-help by airlines because, because uh, although, although fixing an airline's flow can really help ATC, uh, you know, fixing ATC or, or, or the FAA uh, really doesn't solve the problem of airlines failing to manage their own flows. Um, I want to say thank you to our guests. Uh, Robert W. Mann is an airline industry consultant and a former airline industry executive. We also spoke with Miles O'Brien, is a science and aviation correspondent for the PBS NewsHour and CNN. And Captain Casey Murray is the president of the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association. We appreciate all of you. Thanks for being with us. Today's program was produced by Chris Remington and Michelle Harvin and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Celeste Headley. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.